This podcast is brought to you by the Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University. Hi, everyone. I'm Bev Jones, and this is Jazzed About Work, where we talk about everything that might have an impact on your career. In this episode, our guest is psychologist Laura Hamill. She's the chief people officer and the chief science officer at an intriguing software company located in Bellevue, Washington. The company is Limeade, and its mission is all about creating a better employee experience. Limeade has built a software platform that helps its clients support their employees' engagement, inclusion, and well-being. Laura is an expert in the science of care. And today, she'll tell us not only about Limeade's work, but also about new research that shows that managing values like well-being and inclusion is actually good for business. Laura, I'm so interested in hearing about Limeade and the interesting things that the company's doing. But before we get into that, I would love to hear a little bit about your career and how you became so passionate about taking good care of employees. Can Can you tell us a bit about how you found yourself on this path? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for for having me, Beverly. I um, have an interesting childhood. Um, I grew up in rural North Carolina, um, and I grew up with parents who were hippies. They were went back to nature. Um, they I grew up in a log cabin without electricity, and it was just kind of a crazy upbringing. But one of the key themes that happened along the way is that my father really struggled to keep a job. And with that, I just couldn't understand why that kept happening. And the message I got from him all through my childhood was how awful work is. Um, He regularly talked about the, you know, the, the supervisor, the boss, the manager, and how miserably they, that those people treated the employees. And it really got something going in my head. It really got me thinking about, is really, that's what I have to look forward to. Um, and, and I kept thinking to myself, and it really evolved over time, but I kept thinking to myself, couldn't this be better? Like, I don't want to do that. So I think really early on in my childhood, I started to feel like, gosh, I, I need to do something different on this topic. And I started to get interested in psychology, first of all. And then I found out about this field called organizational psychology. So organizational psychology is the study of work. And um, those, I think those kind of fundamental things that happened to me really set the stage for the work that I'm doing now. That's a fascinating beginning. When you um, came out of school, or did, did you work and then go back to school, or what was your, uh, your pattern like? So I went straight, I was an undergrad, I went straight from um, undergrad to graduate school. 
Um, again, I guess growing up with humble, uh, you know, humble means, I didn't have a lot of money and I was just determined that I was going to go, you know, straight through and I was going to have an amazing career. So I went straight, I went to UNC Chapel Hill undergrad, and then I went straight from there to graduate school into a PhD program. And um, along the way, I mean, just had such amazing experiences, but it took about seven years to get my PhD. Um, and, you know, along pretty soon after, um, after that, I also started to understand another important influence on me, which is the field of positive psychology. So positive psychology is this idea that traditionally um, in psychology, we tend to think about things that are negative, like kind of what's wrong with people. Um, so we tend to think when we think of psychology, we think of things like schizophrenia and bipolar disorder, which are all, of course, really important things to study. But there wasn't a lot of an emphasis on what is what does it take to have a great life or what does it take to have work be great? So the idea of positive psychology was a new field. And so that's another important influence for me is really realizing, gosh, the most um, most psychologists focus on what's wrong with things. I really was interested in studying and understanding what's right with things. How could we study quality of life? How could we study um, having a great workplace? What are those things that have to be in place in order for that to happen? So positive psychology has been another really important influence on me and on really thinking about what work could be. That is fascinating. We we do think about positive psychology sometimes on a podcast called Jazzed About Work. I, It's certainly the concepts of how much choice we have and how we can we can change the very nature of not just our attitude but our brain. That that really I think changes our relationship to work. Is is that the kind of thing you look at? Exactly. Um, you can think about it at the individual level, right? Like you were kind of inferring, like how, what our mindsets are and how we come, when we interact with people at work, you know, do we assume positive intent? Are we open? Are we excited about seeing people, right? Do we have an energy about us that's positive? Um, but you could also think about it in terms of the creation of cultures, right? So thinking about it more in the aggregate, how could you create workplaces that fundamentally value people as human beings, that creates work that people want, work that people want to do, um, that really shows people that they're included, that they belong. And so the idea of positive psychology applied to workplace cultures is what I'm really interested in. And um, I think there's so much potential, right? Sadly, there are a lot of people who work in organizations where they aren't treated well. Um, and that's another thing I really noticed in my early career, um, some different jobs that I had where people were pretty miserable, um, weren't treated well by their managers, very stressed, overwhelmed, overworked, uh, a lot of you know self-medicating with um, some wine every evening or overeating, just to kind of deal with the stress. And so that's what I think is so um, kind of fascinating is, I'm starting to see that organizations are shifting. Organizations are starting to realize, gosh, there is another way. We don't have to treat people in that command and control, old school, traditional approach, which doesn't kind of think about the employee and doesn't fundamentally value them 
as human beings. I, I read somewhere recently, I, maybe the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal, that the Business Roundtable, which of course is a quite conservative organization representing large companies, the Business Roundtable has released a statement saying that companies don't exist uh, just to advance the interest of shareholders, which of course is what I was taught in law school years ago, but that they exist and have an obligation to think about all their stakeholders, including employees, the environment, and beyond. Is that the change that that you see, that the uh, culture of um, uh, creating well-being is changing even the big companies now? I think so. It's so exciting to see that change, right? I am just really happy to see that. And it's, you know, one of those things better late than never, right? That that we're starting to see these ideas really catching on. When we first um, started the company, so I'm one of the co-founders of Limeade. And when we first started the the company 14 years ago, we would go and talk to people about this idea of caring about people and valuing people. And literally people would laugh at us and tell us this is never going to catch on. This is never going to work. It's about business, right? This is just, this isn't about feelings. This isn't about, you know, treating people like humans. This is business. And the way that, the way that I'll show my employees that I care about them is by giving them a paycheck every two weeks. Right. And so it's just, it's really encouraging that, organizations are starting to see this. Now, of course, it's not every organization, um, but I'm seeing much more of an acceptance from leaders that maybe there's something here, that how we treat our people um, could be really related to the the business results um, that we get. And so it's really encouraging. Now, there still are people who do a little bit of, you know, maybe talking the talk, I'm sorry, talking about this and don't really walk the walk, right? Like, how is it that they actually make this good intention come to life? And that's where I think the hard work is. They have to really actively show that they care. So, what what it sounds like to me is that we've learned uh, in coaching and in my field now that I'm no longer a lawyer that and we've learned from positive psychologists and all of their research that people who are happy and positive and upbeat and healthy are much more productive. They do better work. They're higher achievers. They're more innovative. They're better for the organization. And it sounds like the next step that that maybe the business roundtable uh, group is, is uh, taking is to acknowledge that taking care of people is good for the bottom line. It's good for business. Is So that sounds like it brings us to Limeade and how you're ahead of the curve. Uh, it sounds like you're working on tools for people who've made their leap, the businesses that made the understanding, you've got tools to help them actually do something about it. Is that correct? Yeah, that's exactly it. Um, so not only do we know that at the individual level that those kinds of things that you just talked about around openness and positivity and resilience, that those are those are good for human beings to have those. You know, they have um, tend to have better outcomes. What we also know is that organizations that support people, right, that actively show 
through all of their people practices, through all of the interactions that they have, the employees and managers and leaders have with each other, that if they feel supported, they're going to get better business results. Um, That's research that one of my teams has found. It's research that Gallup has found. Other um, great places to work organizations have found that the more organizations can support their employees, the more likely you're going to get the results that you care about. So through our product, that's what, what you were bringing up, we really try to create a scalable way through technology for your employees to get that loud and clear message that we care about you. We care about you and we want to support you. We want to help you have a great life overall. And a big part of that is having a great life here at work. So there's all kinds of examples of ways that we we do that. Um, But it really is intended to be one place for employees to go where, for example, they could take a well-being assessment and learn some areas that they might want to focus on. And there are activities that help them do that. Or maybe it's that they want to hear about what's the latest kind of update on the company strategy from the CEO, and they can watch a video from the CEO to learn about that. Or it's also a great place to onboard a new employee um, or learn, if, if you're a manager, learn how to be more inclusive with your team. So the idea is, how do we get people to take action um, and how do we get the whole organization, the managers and leaders, to support that action to create a better place to work? So let me make sure I understand this. What you've created is basically software that can be used to do a variety of things from promoting engagement and well-being to to creating greater transparency and and helping to break down the old hierarchy is is that right that basically you're a software company that's exactly right and everything that's in this software is um, based on um, organizational psychology and positive psychology. It has a foundation in science. And that's one of my roles here at LimeAid is the chief science officer. So we bring bring all of the science. There's a lot of existing amazing academic research, um, but there's also research we're doing and research other organizations are doing. We bring that all together and really try to translate that in a way that's easy for us to put into software. So it's a way for people from organizations to really think about scaling and reaching all of their employees through software. Um, And it's just really um, a way for you to do that systematically, right? For organizations to be able to point to something and say, here's one example through this software platform. Here's one example that we show you that we care. Well, speaking of your research, I saw, I guess it was an overview of a study on the science of care. It, it sounds like you were getting at um, what we were talking about before, that the value of care is, is measurable and it can be good for the company if people are better cared for. Can you tell us about that study? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, this is a study that again, Limeade Institute did. One of the teams, um, one of the teams that I manage, and what we're really interested in is this I, this concept of care. And we don't tend to use the word care at work very much, but really, a lot of the things that are more acceptable, <laughs> employee engagement, inclusion, um, well-being, those constructs really are ways that organizations can show they care. And so 
we wanted to really address the what we call care naysayers, right? Those are the people who really just don't buy into this idea about caring about people. Um, the people who are, you know, the ones who kind of think negatively about millennials or think, you know, that, you know, again, that paycheck is the way I'm going to show you that I care. So we wanted to address care naysayers through science and say, look, you know, this idea of care, there's something here. And let's see what, what we can learn about how care is related to things you might care about. So the first thing we just looked at is how is the construct, what is this construct of care? And there, again, there's great academic research on this, um, this construct called organizational support theory. And organizational support theory is, has been studied over and over and over again. So we use that, that construct as kind of the foundation for our research. And what we found um, is that care, the, con the concept of care is strongly correlated with well-being, employee engagement, and inclusion. And that, that's probably not a surprise because, again, this, th those are probably ways that an organization can show they care. But what we also found that I think was a little bit more interesting is that the construct of care, the concept of care, is negatively related with stress and negatively related to burnout. So the more you feel like your organization cares about you, the less likely you are to f feel stressed and the less like you are, likely you are to burn out. And then finally, the thing that I got really excited about was the concept of care was related to employees' intentions to stay in the organization and also related to their likelihood to recommend their company as a great place to work. And just one little stat on that, what we found is that those employees in our, in our study that said their organization does not care about them were 9% favorable on recommending their company as a great place to work, while those employees who felt like their organization did care about them were 91% favorable on recommending their company is a great place to work. So a 10 time difference, 10 times difference between those employees who didn't feel cared for and those employees who did. So really interesting um, kind of results that we found in this study. We'll be back with Bev after this brief message. The Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University is having an impact today while providing innovative education for tomorrow's leaders. The master's program in public administration and environmental studies leads students to greatness in nonprofit, environmental, public sector, and government settings. Learn to lead at the Voinovich School. We're now accepting applications. Information is available at ohio.edu backslash school. I want to uh, change gears a little bit and um, ask a, a question that's been bothering me, and maybe you have an answer for it. One thing we care about a lot on Jazzed About Work, and we've had some recent guests talking about it, is the concept of diversity and inclusion. It seems clear that when 
when people really are working together and you have a diversity of people, you get better results. But people who are, have been in the field are feeling discouraged. It's, um, it feels like we need some new ideas to promote diversity and inclusion. Do you have any research first that demonstrates that, yes, my belief is correct and um, a diverse workforce, an inclusive workforce is more likely to be innovative and productive? So do you have some research about that? And then if you do, how how does the um, concept of diversity and inclusion relate to the workplace workplace culture overall, and how can you promote that? Yeah, such good questions. Um, I think what I find so fascinating about the topic of diversity and inclusion is this kind of underlying idea, and there's actually a theory for it called optimal distinctiveness theory, um, which is kind of a big you know, mouthful, but it's this idea that there's this tension within each of us where we so desperately want to belong and be part of something bigger and have this connection. But at the same time, there's this tension of we want to be ourselves, right? We want to be valued for who we are individually. I call it like the we and me tension. Um, so that tension is always in place. And so it's so hard, I think, for organizations to walk that line because overdoing it either way, right? If we focus too much on kind of having everybody assimilate, then we lose that individuality. And then if we focus too much on the individuality, we don't have this cohesive feeling of we're all in this together and we're part of something bigger. So it's such an important uh, thing for organizations to understand. So what we find, we found in some, again, some of our research in Lyme Institute is that Inclusion is very much related to the idea of well-being. It's also related to employee engagement. And employee engagement is probably obvious, right? How can you feel like you come to work every day, that you can give your all if, for example, your manager doesn't value your opinion? Or if you feel like um, you're really not kind of part of the organization and that you don't matter. So it's, of course, these, these constructs of inclusion, well-being, employee engagement are all, all related to each other. So your, your point about innovation, I think, is a fascinating one. Um, one of the things that we have kind of dug into is why is it that inclusion and innovation are related to each other? Um, and now just think about it from a real practical perspective that, of course, when you're at work, when we're thinking about innova innovating in an organization or creativity, right? How, how do you create a place where people are coming up with the best ideas and pushing on norms and creating new solutions? Well, you have to have a variety of experiences and skills, right? And so that's probably pretty obvious from the diversity perspective is that you want to have people who have all of those different backgrounds and all of those different perspectives just to be able to think about things differently. So that's, I think, pretty obvious to many. But what's so tricky and important in addition to that is making sure that we have cultures that invite all those different perspectives and all those different voices that the teams that people are on, that there's there's a high level of trust and that it's non-threatening, not even, it's more than non-threatening, right? It's It's gotta be a place where people feel psychologically safe. So if I screw up, if I come up with an idea that's just 
ridiculous. It doesn't make any sense that, that, that we decide not to do. Well, I got to feel like I can say that and there's not going to be a negative consequence, right? Or some sort of repercussion for saying something that's kind of crazy. Because maybe my the next time I bring up something that's kind of crazy, that's so different than what anybody would expect, maybe that is an, um, an idea that would work. So the voice that employees have, that psychological safety, that feeling that, you know, my voice matters. You want to hear from me, like my voice, I I have confidence in being able to speak up, Um, that those are things that have to be in place. And, you know, really how not only within that team, how that happens, but how that happens across teams. So there's so much hard work we have to do in organizations to create those conditions where people feel like their, their diverse experiences that they bring can really come to life. So you're talking about concepts that are really exciting. And I know that the software that you provide your clients is supportive of these concepts and you're working with them to change the culture at their organizations. But I'd like to hear a bit about how are you doing it at LimeAid? How are you managing and changing and supporting your your culture in your company? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm I'm didn't mention that I have two roles here. So I am the chief science officer. So that's the Limeade Institute piece I was talking about. We're the team that that does this research that I've been describing. But a second role I have is chief people officer. So that means I'm in charge of our what we call our people team, or that you could think of it as a human resources function. And we feel so strongly that gosh, if we're doing all this research and we're kind of wagging our fingers at everybody else around the things that they should be doing to create great places to work, that man, we better be doing those same things. So really having some integrity with, you know, what we're telling everybody else and what we're doing ourselves. So we feel so strongly that here at Limeade, we have to work on that. And it's and it's hard, right? We're a growth company. We've grown, grown really fast. Um, we've added a lot of employees in a short period of time. So it's, it is not an easy thing, but we absolutely focus on, on trying to make Limeade a great place to work. And the way that we do that is first, we use our own product. We live in our product. We, we really have to have our employees understand it. And we learn from our own experiences in our product, things that need to be improved, things that need to change in our product. So that's that's one way we do it. Um, I, I'd say the second piece is the most one of the most important pieces is how our values become something that are very tangible for our employees that it's not just a set of you know ideas on a website that you know everybody else has we want to make sure that our values are really the standards for how we treat each other and they're part of our everyday conversation and so we use our values as the the foundation for every part of our people practice so it's how we think about hiring people it's how we onboard people when we think Think about performance management. Half of an employee's performance management is around living the values. When we think about promoting people, it's how do they live the values? Um, so the values piece are really, that's just huge for us. Um, and we also have this measure called the Great Company Index. We use, we use um, measures of well-being and engagement and our values to really um, measure our progress year over year. So so we think the metrics are so important. And I guess I, I just finish this with, we feel strongly about our leaders and managers 
and how they're supporting our employees. We have amazing managers um, who we just see, again, in the way we measure this over time, that they are absolutely in the day-to-day they're supporting employees and really authentically caring about them. We also, um, our leaders, we are so deeply committed to our people and we are, you know, continue to make sure that our leaders are encouraging employees to speak up, to have a voice, um, to talk about things that that we need to talk about so that as we grow fast, that we're, we're really doing our best to, to be a place where we, where we care about our employees. Well, I have one final question that um, I've been thinking about as you've uh, been talking about all the wonderful things you're doing. And I think the word value may be part of the answer. What what I've been thinking about is I've been um, listening is first, wow, sounds like a great company to work. But that reminded me that many of our listeners are either uh, running small businesses with limited resources, or maybe these are um, managers and companies that don't have the kind of culture you're talking about, and they don't have access uh, to the tools or um, to the um, leadership principles that you've embedded into your culture. So my, my question is, for, for leaders who don't have a lot of resources, and maybe they're even part of a, organizations that aren't fully functional, what uh, what can be done to create a more caring environment? How can these leaders better support their team members? Yeah, this is so important, Beverly. Beverly, this is—it's so important for for people, for your listeners to to understand that you actually can't buy this, right? You can't just even when we sell software, right? You can't just buy software and turn it on and expect that all of a sudden this is what's gonna happen, that your employees are gonna feel cared for. It's hard work. Um, You have to get the company aligned, you have to find ways to authentically demonstrate care. Um, So there's a lot of hard work that I think leaders of small companies absolutely can put into place. Um, you, You think about big companies that we all know, wealthy companies who have juice bars and chefs and have big parties. And this is just surface level, right? It's surface level perks. It doesn't work, especially if those people are going back to their office and going back to their cube and feeling like nobody cares about them, that they're not valued, that they're not included. You can have all the parties in the world and all the margarita Fridays you want and it's not gonna work. So I would really encourage people who are managers in organizations, small business owners, you know, do the hard work, do the hard work in, you know, what happens behind closed doors, how people feel like you're treating them, supporting them, valuing them, um, that that's, you can do that. Anybody can do that. They can make a choice in their day-to-day work how they're treating their peers and their employees and other uh, other people in the organization. So I would really like, maybe there's some questions I would pose if you're a manager or a small business owner. How, you know, the first one is, how are you personally demonstrating that you care about your employees? Think about that in, in the day-to-day interactions you have with everybody. Um, are you treating them like whole people? Are you valuing them for other things that they're doing besides what they're doing for you at work? Um, how are you encouraging and valuing and supporting them at work? 
a big part of this is, you know, do you listen to them? Do they have a voice? Do you, I mean, really listen, right? Everybody can tell when somebody's just kind of like, oh yeah, pretending to listen. But is there active listening? Are you really hearing what people are saying? And do you prioritize your employees when you're making business decisions? You know, what role do you think employees play when you're thinking about next year's strategy, when you're thinking about the resources you need? Are you thinking about workload, timing, their professional development and growth? And for small businesses, if you're doing those things, to what extent do you think your managers and your leaders are doing that? Do you feel like they're aligned, that they understand how much you value people? And then finally, I just think you know, what is that consistent, authentic message that you're sending your employees that they're fundamental to your business success, that it's only through people that you're going to be successful and that you care about them and need them to, to, to come to work and do their best work. So are you sending that consistent and authentic message? So a simple starting point Say somebody once is inspired by um, your wonderful comments and wants to start today. And it sounds to me that a, a good starting point might be to write down what are the key values you want the culture here to represent, that you want you as a person to represent. And, and maybe then the next step is you say, okay, how do I want to be as a leader? What does a leader who uses that value look like? And then the third step might be, okay, I want to be a leader who looks like this and acts like this. So the, the next step is to find small ways that you can act like that. You can start behaving more like the kind of caring leader you'd like to have, perhaps. Is that a simple way to begin? Such a good example, such a simple way, right? And it's, I think so many times, many of us have seen leaders that we don't want to be like, right? And the people who, you know, who aren't great examples. And so why don't you, you know, have the courage to say, I'm not going to be one of those. I want to be a good example. I want to be a role model about of how to treat people at work. So I love that, Beverly. That's a great, a great idea and a great example. One, even if people feel like that's a lot or intimidated by that, a simple, simple thing they could do is just ask their employees, how are you? Right? How are you? And listen to the response, right? Help people understand that you care about them in a bigger way than just the status of the latest project, right? That you care about them as, as human beings. And you don't have to be the leader to do that. You can start having an impact on the culture of wherever you are by having that be your way of connecting with other people. This is such a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much, Laura. I, I just want to mention again that um, the name of that study that I found so interesting is the science of care, and it is on. Um, it's from the Limeade Institute, and it's on your website, correct? Yes, it sure is. Limeade.com. L-I-M-E-A-D-E.com. Okay. Well, thanks again for joining me today, and um, I'm going to continue to follow your good work. Awesome. Thank you so much, Beverly. I enjoyed it so much. 
Today, we've been talking with organizational psychologist Laura Hamill, Chief People Officer of LimeAid, about why a culture of care is actually good for business. This podcast is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our audio engineer. I'm your host, Bev Jones, author of Think Like an Entrepreneur, Act Like a CEO. Today's career tip is that if you devote time to taking care of yourself and you find time to exercise and be with your family and have fun, you'll actually accomplish more in your career. 